Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsparts.ie. And together we are Raw Pet Medics. Lovely. I'm alive. Hi, guys. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Um, I, uh, I had to, speaking of, just, I mean, it's very topical, but I had to send Dudley off for, um, I didn't send him anywhere. I brought him. He had two lumps on his chest. Very topical for what we're talking about tonight. And I, I knew about them for the last four or five months until the groomer said, He's got two lumps there on his tummy. I said, I know, I just haven't been looking at them. Very kind of Irish thing to do. It's grand, just don't look at them and just leave them there and uh, and don't don't annoy him. And so eventually I just started feeling a bit guilty. And Elaine, once Elaine said, I really think you should bring him down to the vets and get him checked out. So he got a biopsy last week. And uh, she said, look, I don't want to preempt anything, Bush, because it's good news that when I took the sample, it was kind of oily. So that, that's good news. So I thought, oh, I'll take that to the bank because one of them, she said, was, quite movable and one of them wasn't so that's a very topical conversation which is why this lumps and bumps thing is going to be really useful to me tonight but before we get into that anything exciting this week that somebody wants to divulge or i've got a couple of things to talk about guys the first is i was at dogstable for the weekend and the number of people who came up and said they found us uh at once entertaining and uh, educational was really fantastic. People would come up and go, oh, "I'm a real fan. It's fantastic. Oh, Thank you so much. You know, you've helped me, my dog, my. You know, it was it's really really gratifying. So we are doing some good, guys. Uh, I, I'm oh, pleased, that's lovely to hear. I'm pleased yeah. to say it is wonderful. The other thing I was going to talk to you about is I've I've just read this and I just there's a there's a questionnaire at the beginning. So if I can steal a couple of minutes. I won't take you through all of them. There's there's 13 questions, and I got 10 out of 13 wrong. Okay, so I'm just going to run the first few. This is a book about how actually the world is not half as bad as you as the media makes out. Okay, here's the first question: In all low-income countries across the world today, how many girls finish primary school? Because that's an indicator of progress. I guess um, a 20%, B, 40%, C, 60%. Everybody, have a little look. Have a, what do you think? So, 60. A, 20, B, 40, C, 60. Low-income countries, girls finishing primary school. I have to admit I've read this book. So now I'm just going to, I'm not going to okay. sink so low as to get all the questions right and Bren wrong. It's not, this is not my time to win <laughs> something against Bren. Not by cheating, Connor. Not by cheating. Not today. Okay. Oh, go on, go on. I think you should okay. go first and then I'll just follow. <laughs> okay. So everybody's saying come 20 or 40. And that's exactly what I would have said, I would guys. Have said that. Oh, Except 60, Mindy, surely 60. Mindy Nelson Stapleton has got it right. It's C, 60% of yeah. girls in low-income countries finish primary school. How cool is that? I think a lot of them finish primary school and it's at that point that the prejudices come in and they fall out of being able to go. Is that not oh, the well, Oh, well, I can, well, okay, no, no, I can go a little bit further than that. Uh, let me look here. Bear with me. We're not going to have any dead air. Uh, oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, worldwide, 30-year-old men have spent 10 years in school on average. How many years have women of the same age spent in school? 
A, nine years. B, six years. C, three years. Nine years, six years, three years. If in men, 30-year-old men, 10 years in school, what is the figure for women around the world? Guys? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that is where they fall off because that primary school ends okay, at about so six Brendan, years in what school. Are you so I think, oh, let's go six. You're going to go six. Everybody else? Michelle says nine years. Mindy says nine years. Angela says nine years. Lynn says six. The answer is nine years. So actually, it's really similar to the men, which again is why this lovely book is quite reassuring. Because if you if you if you just you know read the Guardian or something, you'd think that you know uh, we're the most educated country in the world, and everybody else is you know eating bread and water. That is very 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 not the case. So um, there you go. That's a it's a cracking uh, book. It's like it's like a it's a breath of fresh air because. At the moment, we are in a society where everything, like negative news gets clicked, you know, so Guardian Online, everybody will be guilty of it because they have to try and replace the lost income that is newspapers, which were there for the people. And now they have uh, online kind of platforms where you're competing for eyes and negative stories. We heard a, a negative tweet travel six times further, six times more, whatever. So you're surrounded by negative stuff, but that book flips it on its head and goes, guys, there has never been less murders. There's never been less uh, hunger. There's never been less bump, but bump, bump, bump. Halfway through the book, you think, I feel amazing. You're getting up in the morning going, I'm not listening to the news this morning. It's there to make me feel agitated and annoyed and that things aren't great. And we lucky pigs living in this beautiful, we are so lucky. If you haven't been imprisoned or tortured or, you know, starved or, or molested or kicked out of your house, you are on the top three, five percent. And we're still will find something to complain about. So that book was a revelation. I strongly recommend that book. Fantastic. Don't we love to bury ourselves in first world problems? I mean, yeah, it's just, uh... I think our brains are wired for negative stuff because, like you know, there's got to see that's dinosaur poo. Start running, you know. So you've got to be aware for negative stuff more than positive stuff. Like that must be it because you're trying to keep alive. Now it's like you're just buried into this little stressful thing, and next time you. Next thing you know, you're you know sitting in the sitting room with the windows closed. Now I know that Connor was watching the uh, Jurassic Park Lost World on Saturday night instead of the Jubilee celebrations. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I tell you what, it was we on went ITV, to, not on BBC One. <laughs> we went to see Top Gun Maverick. Amazing, oh, amazing. Even if you don't like Tom Cruise, even if you're not really into into planes, it really is a rollicking oh, it's movie. See it in the yeah. cinema. I mean, there's a bit of cheese at the end, double cheese, but uh, I just thought, uh, I was just, I wouldn't even eat my popcorn. Don't spoil it. I want no spoilers. I'm being taken out to the cinema this weekend. I'm not going to be uh, <laughs> corrupted by, <laughs> I'm going to relive, what is it, 1989, the original? Was that right? Something like that. 30 years ago it yeah. was. That's just phenomenal. Probably a bit earlier, actually, wasn't it? Yeah. Listen, guys, we better get into it here. Like, we're 10 minutes in. The um, friend... How... Lumps and bumps. Yeah, lumps and bumps. Before we get patreon.com forward slash raw pet medics, uh, that's where you'll find us. Thanks for everybody. It's been good lately, mm. and uh, the support is very much appreciated. So it, it definitely helps this side. So thanks very much to everyone on Patreon. Um, thanks to everyone. Tonight is about lumps. And we do and we do appreciate, and we do appreciate you coming up, as you did to Nick, and saying... How much you enjoy us. It's, it's great to uh, to hear some feedback from you guys. So thanks again for, for all of you guys that come up to us. Uh, I've even had people locally 
saying, oh, "Recognise no you." <laughs> just like, whoa! I was at I was at last week. Uh, I didn't want to big, big up Nick's story because our our festival was probably a little bit smaller, probably the Irish version of whatever one you had. But it was packed. It had a heap of people, and I had two people come up. You know, they asked for a photograph, and I'm like, a photograph <laughs> with me. <laughs> Of you gurning. I mean, <laughs> big sweat marks on my arms going like this after talking for an hour. Because I just love raw pet medics. It's like, oh, that was so nice to hear. Oh. So there you go. I think, I think, uh, yeah. So uh, this is, we're, we're, we're doing uh, lumps and bumps tonight. Where do we start with lumps and bumps? Okay, I've tell you what, I've got some stats for you. Uh, really remarkable. I just had a look 20 minutes ago at these. So uh, here's a paper. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, by Sava, February 22. And in the introduction, he says, in a remarkable thesis of how cancer has was transformed from an obscure and mystical condition to a medical problem, Koblenz notes that the death rate from cancer in people increased almost 20-fold between 1850 and 2009. Now, is that... Unbelievable, wow. or is that crazy. unbelievable? And in dogs, the figure is one in four dogs will at some stage of their life develop neoplasia. This is the AVMA, who you can kind of love and hate at the same time. And almost half of dogs over the age of 10 will develop cancer, which is a, which is a frightening statistic, which is kind of worse than humans. Even. I think that the statistic is that uh, dogs are the the most cancer-prone species on the yeah. planet. Yeah. I mean, without, without being able to light their own cigarettes and pump in all the various chemicals that we know we shouldn't be doing <laughs> and eating or drinking and ingesting on a regular basis, dogs don't get any of them. They only get what we give them and put into them. And they get yeah. way more cancer than humans. They get way more cancer. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, but... So let's go back a moment because let's think about the diet because oh, yeah. is it not the case, you know, for ourselves... Even though we feed ourselves so much junk, because we do, quite frankly, you know, just because mm. we mean led astray. But yet there are enough of us at least intermingling that with some good diet that actually up to this 2009, how much of the majority had switched to a convenient food for their pets? Just because that's what we'd always been taught is, you know, going to be complete and balanced and all of the other myths that we've dispelled nearly said something else. Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately, that is where we're at. Is it not indicative that these dogs that are being fed these convenient diets are being pushed down a route to certain disease? Well, um, I've, I've got some stats on that, guys. Um, uh, there's a wonderful guy called uh, Thomas Sandberg, who I interviewed actually on Georgia uh, a couple of years ago. And... He's got a website which is called longlivingpets.com, uh, which is A, very interesting, and B, he's, he's always uh, uh, keen to raise money to help him with this project. And he is doing a 30-year project between two, uh, the year 2000 and 2030. So he's, you know, two-thirds of the way through it now. And he's got at least 6,000 raw-fed dogs and cats from around the world, and he's following those over the 30 years. Obviously, some will die as the years roll by. and his experience is that in the normal population, the the incidence over ten is one in two, but with it with within his raw fed population, he found that the the figure is something like three percent. So 
that's a remarkable change. Even if you look at the lower figure of one in four, so 25% throughout their lifetime, 25% down to 3% in the raw fed population. I think that that's really, really very funky indeed. So really interesting stat as well. If you look, there's a link I put up on Facebook to Horizon from last night, which was uh, about a lady who suffered from cervical cancer. Mm. And she was talking about, even though she had some fairly radical surgery, did she make the right decision? Um, and there's a lot of discussion about stats for various cancers and, and stuff like that. And looking at is it always right? There's, there's some interesting stuff about actually only 4 to 5% of cancers respond well or, or are helped by chemotherapy. Yep. Um, there is uh, lots of information about how many people, when you know, found through, you know, they died through trauma or you know, road traffic accident, they looked at the stats for the number of people that actually had cancers undiagnosed but were living happily without any treatment whatsoever. And it was really interesting. So watch that program because there's some really interesting stats through it. So look, you've mentioned that word neopla uh, neoplasia. What can you tell us, Brian, what, what is neoplasia? Why does, why does cancer form, form this little lump and bump of, of the first most important lump and bump tonight? What is neoplasia? Why does it do this? What is this out of control growth that is a tumor? Neoplasia is cancer, by the way, guys. Yeah. Just yeah. so that we're so clear. That's, yeah, that's what we need to say. It's basically, um, rather than a normal turnover of cells, the genetics that switch a cell off and tell it to die, okay, uh, so that it can be replaced by a fresh cell, gets interrupted. And what ends up happening is that the parent cell, the old cell, stays in place whilst the new one pushes in. And if that's a really rapid process, then that grows rapidly. And if it's a slow process, it stays really small for a very long time. That is neoplasia in a nutshell. Uh, we need to probably resolve a few misconceptions of what is metastatic cancer. Um, so that's the, where things move from the original and spread through either, um, well, three ways. Through the blood, through the lymph system, which is a tissue fluid uh, drainage system, or along fascial planes. So that's the sort of areas between muscle sheets, the fibrous planes that cells can move along. Um, so those are the three sort of main areas that metastatic spread, so spread away from the primary tumor is. That's often mixed up with just how malignant a tumor is. So a malignancy is just how aggressive, how invasive that tumor is into the surrounding tissue. So some very complex thoughts there. So you've got a benign lump, which is very just a lump. You know, it's often will sit quiescently, maybe grow at various rates, but doesn't really shift from where it is. You've got a metastatic mass, which has spread out. So it's shed cells and spread them out around the body. And then you've got a malignancy, which is where it may also metastasize, but it will generally be about how aggressive it is to invading surroundings. Okay. When, when the vet said to me to the, uh, a couple of days ago, taking the bopsy from Dudley, she's feeling the lumps, okay? And yeah, you're hoping for a lipoma, which is this fatty lump that you see on some dogs. And we'll talk about that because that's an important lump or bump to talk about. But the vet wanted to just straight away, she said, okay, you know, this bump feels quite rigid. 
and that's a concern compared to this bump here, which I can move around. She goes, I'm less concerned about that one. What's that about? Why would a cancer bump be let? Uh, why is that more rigid and the lipoma more movable? Lipoma being the fatty lump that older dogs tend to get. So when we talked about how um, malignant a tumor is or benign a tumor is, so if it's benign, it often will be within a, a, a walled off area and it won't be invading other tissues. So it'll be more mobile. Okay. Whereas if it's quite malignant and it's invading surrounded tissues, it becomes more fixed to those tissues as it reaches in and claws into that other tissue. It can be mistaken occasionally if a lipoma is actually underneath a muscle layer, then it can feel like it's quite fixed, which is why doing the tests are necessary to sort of determine what's going on with that. Um, so I've got to remember as well, sorry, I'll let Nick go first. Okay, I would say at this stage, you can't tell what the tumour is pretty much by looking at it or even feeling it. And I think that with the vast majority of tumours, you need to get a needle into that tumour in order to do that initial. It's called a fine needle aspirate. What you do is you put a, put a hypodermic needle into it. It's the simplest test in the world, and you can do it on a conscious dog in most cases. You put the needle in, you pull back on the syringe and some of the cells enter the tip of the needle and you then take out the needle and you squirt those onto a slide which you can then put under a microscope or send to a laboratory for them to put under a microscope and I think that unless you uh, uh, you either know what the lump is because there have been lots before and it's behaving in exactly the same way but even then you can't be 100% sure or unless you don't want to know what the lump is, in, as, as Connor was saying, uh, you need to get a needle into any lump that you don't like the look or your vet doesn't like the look of in order to say, is this a tumour? And if so, is it malignant or is it benign? I.e., is it going to spread or is it going to be just sit there and just grow a little bit? Or is it just a cyst or just a lump, you know, a bit, bit of gristle or something like that? So I think it's... What's a, what's a cyst? A cyst is an enclosed um, part of the skin where a gland is feeding into a, 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 a contained reservoir of tissue. So basically, it's like a water balloon. And they will usually be full of either liquid material or kind of philadelphia -y kind of pussy sort of material. And... Um, I get one behind my ear, guys. That's really weird. I get these little, oh, this little round lump behind my ear. Usually at stressful times, two or three of them. And I went to the doctor one time and he goes, ah, it's nothing. And I said, no, I want it to go away. And he goes, it'll go away eventually itself. Uh, but he says, I can take one or two out. He says, but they'll just come back. This, this is a little thing. And I actually got one there a couple of weeks ago, a little small little round thing. I was showing Elaine. She was like, ew. And I was like, oh, don't say that. Like, I just thought you couldn't see it really. She goes, oh, no, I can see it. it's a little red lump. And that's a, so that's a cyst, and that's my sebaceous glands filling up this little thing. And, and then eventually it bursts, which was very enjoyable. And, but it was, it was like bloody stuff and stuff, as opposed to, yeah, I thought it was going to be. So, are you, sure, are you sure you're not suffering from tubercular boils? Oh, shit. I mean, this is. <laughs> Connor, would, would, you, would you show us and maybe have a little squeeze of it on, yeah, no. on camera? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, there's a there's a section of the population that love that sort of stuff. Oh, definitely. I'm not I'm not one of them. I used to live with a girl who was a nurse, and she just used to love popping spots and blackheads. Oh my <laughs> god. She uh, anyway, very handy to have around when you're in your twenties. 
Um, Nick, you, you <laughs> mentioned there, uh, oh, your lumps and bumps if you don't like the look of it. Isn't that the key thing? How do, do I, as a lay person and all these other people here, they see a lump or a bump and they go, when do you start getting worried about a lump or a bump? Uh, as, soon, as soon as you see it, I would get it checked. Because until you or your vet can develop x-ray vision, you've got to get it checked. And you've got to get a needle in it, I think, you know. And it was really interesting. I used to do, when I was doing a fine needle aspirate, I'd put two or three, and I thought I was being very virtuous, doing two or three needles into this, this, uh, these, these, these lumps of any, any description. And then uh, an American girl came and saw practice with me. Becky, if you're watching, hello. And she said, we were taught at college to do at least eight needles. And that's very logical. that Because if, if you do, the more you go into it, the more you, your, your sample is going to be representative of the tumor itself. However, the one downside to fine needle aspirates, for example, with mast cell tumors, which are potentially very nasty, is that once you start sticking needles in them, it is like poking a hornet's nest. So that's the downside for me of fine needle aspirate. But that's kind of one in a hundred. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, well, let's, let's talk about mast cell tumours because I think that's a really sort of notable thing about mast cell tumours is their fluctuation in size because of the histamine release. So what they may, they may be first seen as uh, something that's even five millimetres across, but what will happen is that they get knocked, they release histamine, all of a sudden the edema, that's the fluid that builds up around them, makes them swell to, you know, three, four, five centimetres across, um, and then it fluctuates. So it'll then, as the histamine subsides, it'll go back down. So if you've got a mass that's quite small but is getting this big fluctuation, absolutely do as nick says get that checked out talk about the fact it's a fluctuating mass i think yeah very nasty tumors we get very aware of those um but it's it's not necessarily um sort of fitting with the rest of, of all of those lumps and bumps from little warts and getting eight needle samples from a, a three millimeter wart i think is going to be a challenge for anybody um i think you know there, there is a difference. I think when we start to see something that's very much in the skin surface um, of dogs definitively, then I'm sort of, I'm always of, of a mind to monitor them, find out how quickly they've come up, you know, whether they're growing rapidly or not, um, to make that decision about how quickly we pop a needle in to, to check it out. I think with cats, slightly different. I would definitely say for cats, especially if they're sun worshippers, just as with us, they can get tumors, especially squamous cell carcinomas, the ear tips and the nose. Any sort of areas of crusting on the nose, on the bridge of the nose, or on the ear tips, definitely, definitely get them checked out by your vet sooner rather than later, because um, those are really, really aggressive ones. What I will often say, say to, yeah, I'll say to people that if, if you've got a lump and you're monitoring it, when do you get worried? You know, you take it to the vet and they said, no, I think it's a, it's, it's a lipoma. When do, when do you then change your approach to that? And I say, if it changes in character, so if it, get, if it changes in colour or size or texture, then you, you reappraise what, what, what's happening. Okay, I'd say that's a good thing. Really easy on skin, but lumps and bumps like us, okay? So the more skin you have out, like me, uh, so you've got to be more aware of the sun and, and when you get a lump or bump on the skin and you look at, they're the sort of tips that most people are aware of. If it changes in 
in shape or color or or got a crust on it or bleeds, you know, it's like, okay, shit, this is different. So there's an interesting question. Uh, do dogs get skin cancer? Yeah, totally. Skin and soft tissue. Skin and soft tissue. I've just had a look. Uh, skin and soft tissue are the most common cancers that we see. So, yeah. But they're totally covered up. Like, so is it just like completely localized on their nose and not like, well, they wouldn't get skin cancer on their back and legs. So the thing is that obviously we think of UV being a, a stimulus of skin cancers, you know, just the, an aggravation. But you've got to remember there are so many other chemicals that they're in exposure to, uh, that they're running through, that they're, uh, you know, I was even, and thanks for, to Rachel Max, she sort of raised this uh, the other day, a really interesting point of um, up in the Hebrides and also down into Cumbria, just the level of exposure back in the 80s to Chernobyl, to the the uh, stuff from all that came over in the rain clouds um, because the wind was in the wrong direction for us guys. Um, you know, the level of radiation and actually the level of cancer rates um, for all of those islanders and how high it actually is because of all of the stuff they were eating for local food and crops um, and their gen general exposure. So, you know, the, don't forget, even if you're feeding the most ideal raw food, don't forget there are so many environmental issues that we have in modern day living that can still affect your pets and cause cancers. It was interesting. After Chernobyl, um, the IRA here in Ireland, there was chat that uh, we were more worried about your Sellafield. And we thought, OK, if anybody was going to plant a bomb anywhere, Sellafield would be a great spot for it. But the problem would be is that we would get a belt of it here on the east coast of Ireland of any damage that happens. So that would be a little bit self-destructive. Around the Chernobyl kind of uh, worst of the troubles times, we got iodine tablets posted out to our house. I don't know if that happened in Britain, but it happened in Ireland and Northern Ireland. Every house got an iodine tablet, just like that. A packet of iodine tablets. Most people still have them because who takes iodine tablets? But... Uh, well, they posted about lickety split. I thought, isn't that interesting how quick the government can act when they just thought, well, this might be a risk and these might help. As if, like, you know, a big green cloud is coming towards you. <laughs> Where are the iodine tablets? As if that's going <laughs> to sort you out. But, like, uh, isn't it interesting they could do that and they couldn't send you out a few vitamins or minerals during COVID? I thought, whoops. Ooh. Anyway, um, <laughs> can we talk about um, the pomas and warts? They're the two most common uh, lumps and bumps although we could get into some of the more juicy ones that I do want to mention. But uh, let's, let's start with lipomas. Lipomas are, and what can we do about them? And we've got three or four minutes for each. Well, I do lipomas. Right, you do lipomas, I'll do, okay. I'll do yeah. warts. How so lipomas are effectively a multiplication of the adipose tissue, the fatty tissue within the body. Uh, the same things that I've talked about with cell multiplication happen, only actually because of how those fat cells work in laying down surrounding fat, that's why they can be a little bit more squishy. So they tend to be like a stress ball sort of squishiness. Um, and they uh, quite often will grow um, in the subcutaneous fat tissue. So they'll be underneath the skin layer, but over the top of the muscle. And that's why they tend to be mobile, quite squishy. Um, they often are benign but it usually is the fact that they will grow in areas of high motion. So if you, if you get them under the armpits or in the groin and they start to cause friction, that can be more of an issue. If they are growing just on the flank um, or on the chest wall, 
then, and once they've been diagnosed and you know that they are lipomas, okay, then you may just monitor them and make sure they don't get infected, they don't cause a problem. It's not something that I would cosmetically remove unless it's actually an issue. So uh, Nick, we've only got a, a few minutes left. So tell us about warts. Uh, what is a wart? Why are they so gross? And what can you do about them? Warts are, warts are a, a benign, they're a papillomavirus that if you get a tiny little nick in your skin, the papillomavirus, they love when skin uh, heals. They, 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 they jump into that wound and they um, overproduce tissue, so which is why often in children and old people or if in, in immunocompromised people, you'll get warts. It's a classic. And I can talk about this because I had warts on my hand. This is my hand. And I had warts over here um, when I was in practice. I'm talking about 12 or so warts. You know, maybe it was the stress of being, you know, the first few years in practice because that's, that's it. That is very stressful. But uh, and I try. I tell you what. I tried everything. People would come in and say, "Oh yeah, you rub it with a piece of meat and then bury them, bury the meat, or you rub it with hazel twig." Look, you know, <laughs> every week one of my clients would say, "Oh, have you tried X, Y, and Z?" And then somebody came in one day and said, "What you need to do is just need to chop a uh, a clove of garlic and rub it on the on the wart." And you know what? In two weeks, the lot disappeared. Ah, oh, that was one of my tips. That's like my only thing. That's like my only thing I can add tonight. I love it when he steals it from you at the end, Connor. I love Did it, it work, Nick? Did it work that quick? It worked. It worked in in weeks. It was just, but it may have been just. It was. It, it, we caught them at the right time. It definitely wasn't. They were not going anywhere. They had. They were there to stay. So it was. It may have just been me and garlic. It may have just been we caught them at the right time. I don't know what, but it definitely wow. made a massive, massive, massive difference. There are chemicals that you can use to put on them. You can take the dog to the vets. They can they can freeze them off using carbon dioxide. Um, I had that as well as a kid. Yeah, those, those Veruca yeah. freeze things now. The little can sprays that you get, which uh, you can free, freeze warts and Verucas off. You can get them from the chemist. But I would say Thuya tincture. So Thuya officinalis as a mother tincture um, painted onto the warts pretty much like the garlic, um, I've also found really useful um, in those circumstances. I've got, I've got one more uh, uh, frequently asked question, or not frequently asked question, a uh, table quiz kind of question here for you. Does anybody know what the bumps around your nipple are called? Bumps around the nipple, oh, what are they called? Brilliant. Yes, I knew brilliant. you'd like that, Nick. You love, an L, you love an L word or a name. I, I do, I do. But did you know that most nipples are 12 inches apart? Regardless of what, what size you are, how can that be? <laughs> so big girl, I'm not even going to talk about girls. I'm not going to talk about girls, but guys, get, get you know, how, whether you're skinny or really, really big, twelve inches. <laughs> I think it's twelve inches, but it's is, a standard. Is that how, you, standard is that how you measure everything by the distance between your nipples? Like, I'm well, sorry, that's just. Uh, mine are only ten inches apart. What does that mean? 
<laughs> Do you know what they say about men with ten inch, ten inch nipples? It's exaggeration. <laughs> uh, I it must got, be twelve inches. It's the same distance. God, as this. I, I really hope your nipples aren't twelve inches apart. The both, you know, I'm the only person with ten inch nipples because this is going to be, this is horrible things being found out about me. Anyway, the answer to the question uh, about the bumps around your nipples. So the the brown bit around your areola. Areola. Areola is the brown area around your nipple. Okay. Okay. And and the okay. bumps are called Montgomery glands. Clearly named oh. by a British man. I mean, if ever you've heard of a Montgomery yeah. man. And do you know... With the, a moustache. Yeah. Wasn't he a general? Wasn't he a general in the, in the he was, desert? He was the African... He was the African... He was a clever guy, wasn't he? That guy, was, that guy did some pretty impressive tank warfare in the desert. Um, so, uh, the, um, so, do you know what the Montgomery glands do? I should hope you do as two vets and me, the non-vet of the gang. Release pheromones to improve the... No, that's a pure guess. Bonding of child <laughs> to mother. <laughs> <laughs> pheromones but that say suck here no they are that's what someone said the bumps around your nipple are braille braille yeah, no, for suck here we know that, that there is a glandular release around you know the, the dog's nipples for the puppies that's the whole point well that's what the Montgomery glands do now you're on target the Montgomery glands release well, I, 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 I just said you, that and you said I was purely guessing yeah you said I mean. pheromones first come on Brett but this this is actually to moisturize the nipple. That's what the Montgomery glands do. And I thought, that's kind of interesting. Moisturize the nipple, because you know, fair enough. Uh, but then I'm looking at my own nipples as I was reading this, having a good look. And I've got these bumps around my nipples. Tell me I'm not the only man that has bumps around. Like, I understand, okay, you know, when they're designed in men and women. Stood in front of the mirror, massaging your nipples to try and work out whether they can you see bumps around? Not this again. Um but yeah, so like, why would we bother having bumps around our nipples? What was the point? Do sucking my nipples? You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? What is the point? Too much How did you take this off in such an obscure direction? We were having it's a, a serious discussion. It's a, this is a very, it's a very serious. Discussion. I, I wonder why men are born with nipples at all. I'm sure everyone like have wondered that. But to even have that down to the bumpy bit, really weird, isn't it? Anyway, look, that's my my do, bump. Do they do the same thing in men? Do, wait, do, do men have Montgomery We glands? have Montgomery glands, but I can't ever say I've ever seen my nipples moisturised by them. <laughs> <laughs> my nipples are feeling very moist today. Jeez. I wonder. All we need to do is we need to start giving you a load of progesterones and estrogens and then see how well you start to produce milk. Let's see what happens. Because <laughs> men can still get breast cancer. You know, we actually have yeah. all of the organ tissues that are there that are necessary. The difference is the hormones and how those are released by our gonads. So, so now, is there any other? Yeah, I mean, the, the fact is, the fact is, men have got nipples, but they don't need them. Uh, you know? Yeah, so, that's what I mean. That's just it, it, so that will be because of a, what the Y chromosome, I presume, something like that. Why couldn't they just get rid of them and give us something else, like a can opener, you know, beer bottle opener, or something, <laughs> you know, something useful? <laughs> nipples, utterly useless. Um, that was an interesting one, guys. Good. I hope all of you guys out there um, uh, got lots of information from that. It was it was a lot of fun, and so next week we're going to be doing teeth and lumps in mouth. Yep. All right. Brilliant. Fabulous. Great to see you all, and see you again soon. <laughs> Blah, 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 blah,